0: If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast now.
2: Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt, and today with me I have Janine Liston, a.k.a. The Pricing Lady, and uh, I love that name. Is that nickname one that you gave yourself or someone else gave you?
3: Actually, it came from all my work travels, and I would arrive in a new location to launch a project. I'd I'd, I'd walk in and introduce myself to someone new. I'd be like, hey, I'm Janine. They're like, yeah, I know you. You're the Pricing Lady. (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's perfect isn't it And uh, yeah and in my head uh leading up to this podcast that's all I've had in my mind I've just had you in mind as the pricing lady so that's already some great marketing from uh, from you and your wealth of friends that you've uh, found on your travels who've given you that inspiration so actually seeing as we're talking about that and you and your background um can you let our listeners know who you are and what you're all about yeah okay so
3: my name is Janine Liston the pricing lady. I grew up in the States, in California, northern the northern part of California, and I actually studied engineering in university. So I was a building designer for a few years. Uh, and it was during that time that I realized I wanted to do something that was more social, like I, there were other people <laughs> a bit more, it sounds strange, but I got tired of sitting at my desk running calculations. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I ended up with a company that eventually brought me over to Switzerland. It was also with that company that I was a, a product manager. And I first kind of discovered the power of pricing, The only thing was I didn't really understand the extent at that time of what I had stumbled upon. Once I moved to Switzerland, I got a job as a global pricing manager for Siemens. And from there, it's been pricing all the time for me. I traveled the globe launching projects uh, in local local legal entities, uh, both at Siemens and a company called Syngenta as well. And then in 2015, I went through burnout, left the corporate world. And thought to myself, now what, do I, what am I going to do? And I could identify a few things. One, I really love pricing. Two, it brings a lot of value to companies. But three, I wanted to really help small businesses with the topic of pricing because price is the most important profit lever a business has. So if they can focus on it in the right way, they can get to that financial freedom or those business, those financial business objectives that they want that much quicker. And I can really help them do that. So that was what led me to, you know, be here in front of you all today as the pricing lady and having my own business.
2: That's amazing. Uh, Thanks for telling that story. And uh, it's also covered really well, I remember, on your website. Um, So if people are interested in finding out more, there's so much more about your history and these career pivots that you've been on via your website. So uh, we'll drop the link to that in the show notes a bit later on. And talking about that, I mean, you just touched on it at the end there, this kind of final pivot and this path that you're on right Mm -hmm. now is improving people's confidence in pricing and the value that, that offers. And so I've gone with the tentative title today for this podcast of how to improve your confidence in pricing. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking about this more generally. I know your, your expertise is, is with small and medium businesses primarily, correct? Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing that. And I'll obviously be looking at things through more of a marketing lens in some areas, um, because marketing pricing Probably of high interest to our listeners, and definitely is to me. So I want to start out with that. I was I want to start out with the the concept of value, and I was thinking about this as a starting point. And it, it you know it's something I could have left to the end, but I, th- I actually think it's better to start here right. because I think, I guess I don't know the techniques that you might use to help people understand their value, mm-hmm. and when people sit back and think about value, they think about the financial aspect of their value Mm -hmm. and i assume they think about their the lifestyle that they want as well to um so that might help them dictate the value that they need or that they acquire Mm -hmm. so maybe can you just start there and talk about the techniques or frameworks that you use to help people understand their value right
3: so when I'm referring to value, and well, let me start one step back from that. So the first thing is that price is only relevant in the context of value. So if you think of when you buy something yourself, you know, let's say you're buying a new phone and you're thinking about, okay, well, if I have this phone and it's new, it won't be so slow. I can have more pictures on it. Uh, maybe it has a faster something or another. I'm not a technical person <laughs> in the context. Uh, so I'm out of my my scope here. But you're you're, you know, consciously or subconsciously, you're assessing what you're gonna get out of this. And what we do is we look in four key areas. So I use something called the show me the money matrix. Uh, the show me the money matrix and you ask yourself four questions. How am I helping my customer reduce risk, improve quality? improve their competitiveness, and or bring economic efficiency, time or money. And when you look at those four areas, you can very quickly start to identify value points. So these aren't functions and features and like your, your mobile phone is taking those functions and features a step further. Now, a client of mine recently very politely pointed out there's a fifth one that I'm not addressing. And that's, you know, like the things that we can't quantify, like trust. If you're looking for a service and you're looking for a partner as opposed to just a service provider, that could be an additional value as well. And I thought that was a really good point um, that, that she brought up. But I tend to focus on the show me the money matrix because we can quantify many of those things.
2: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that matrix, then I'm, I'm curious to know what are the most common obstacles you come across within people and their businesses that mm-hmm. stops them or prevents them from either exploring their current value mm-hmm. or even marketing their current value.
3: Mm-hmm. So I think one of them is comfort zone. So what I see and what I'm repeating a lot with clients is that. We have to stop focusing in a sense on what we do or what our products do, but instead focus on what they provide. And there's a bit of fear attached around that. Maybe a little bit more in services than in products, but in both because you have to get concrete and that can make you feel a little bit squirmy (laughs) to use a technical Uh, term, right? So that's one part of it. And the other part is that, um, you're kind of taking a leap of faith or putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what I can deliver you. And I'm going to say that this is what I can deliver you. And again, it just feels, it feels risky for some people. Right. And so again, they struggle to be that concrete and they're kind of happy in the zone of, well, let me tell you what I do, or let me tell you about the functions and features of my product. And the, the risk in that is that the functions and features may not actually be as valuable to your customers as they think it is,
2: hmm. or they are. I hadn't really thought about it that way. But on that point about value, that's really interesting because it's very, it's committal. And I hadn't really realized that when you commit to something like that or anything in life, there's obviously that fear factor that, that maybe follows immediately. You think to yourself, oh, no, what have I let myself in for? <laughs> so... It's both committal uh, and there's a little bit of fear that follows, but there's a lot of confidence in that commitment as well um, if, you, if you seek to choose it.
3: Yeah. I think earlier you were also saying, you know, you were expanding on this value concept. So not just necessarily the value provide, but then also how you define what you need in your business um, in terms of, you know, it's... It's very important to understand what you need in order to have a functioning, sustainably profitable business. And oftentimes what people will do is they'll set the price at the end of the process just before they go to market. And once they look at the numbers, they realize, oh, I can't actually make enough money. (laughs) (laughs) I either have to sell way too many or I have to increase the price or, you know, something goes awry. Um, So that's also a very important part of understanding the value is understanding how you can make a sustainable business model out of it.
2: Hmm. And do you see a marked change in people once you've been through that process, you've helped them to understand their value and then you get them to commit to something more concrete? Mm -hmm. Do you see a notable shift in their confidence following that point?
3: Absolutely. It's, it's actually quite amazing. Sometimes I feel like a proud parent. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds terrible, doesn't it? Uh, but it's really true because I think one of the biggest reasons that people feel a lack of confidence in their pricing is because they don't actually understand why their prices are what they are. You know, so they haven't done the work. I would say the vast majority of small business owners, when they start, they go and see what everybody else is doing and then price around there somewhere. So there's two faulty assumptions in that. One, you're assuming every, everybody else's prices are right, but you don't necessarily know that. <laughs> yeah. And two, you're assuming that what they're offering is of the same value. That they have the same cost structure, that they have the same business targets, that they're targeting the same customers. So you're just like making all these great big assumptions, which you actually haven't validated or tested out.
2: Yeah, I think we're a lot of us are guilty of falling into that position. So it's really interesting that you touch on that. In the lead up to this podcast, I was thinking about... The career the role that the roles that i 've had i 'm a managing director of an agency now, and I was thinking about all of these different industries that i 've been in in my career and every time i 've fallen into an industry i 've never really questioned pricing mm-hmm. i 've always just i 've always just looked at the market, looked at competition and Made decisions on pricing largely, not always that's mm-hmm. uh, high visibility we 've expo- we've been exploring value based pricing a little bit more in the last mm-hmm. few years, which has been amazing for us. but I would say we 're still not one hundred percent confident in that area, mm-hmm. and a lot of that becomes comes from that area that you just talked about and that 's right. because you're all, you, it's easy to fall into the trap of comparing yourself to the competition and wanting to fall within that comfort zone
3: right. let me be clear, scott that The competition is part of the story, Mm. Um, but you have to put it into context, right? So the question isn't, you know, I should price 10% below these people. Now, if you have a strategy where you want to be a fast follower, you just want to follow the leaders in the market, then, okay, you go, you see what the competition is doing. You figure out who the leaders are and you set your price and you design your products to be fast followers right? So that can be a strategy. But I think most people aren't using it as a strategy. They're using it because it's relatively easy to do.
2: So I love this next area that we're going to move on to. So you've, you've, you've mothered someone in the area of pricing, (laughs) you've helped them become, you've helped them become more confident Uh and eventually, and eventually there becomes a moment, particularly in service-based industries where Mm -hmm. you're pitching your product Mm -hmm. and you're sitting there, you, you build yourself up, you present the pricing and then you get the response from the prospect or the client on the other end. That's too expensive. And I love, I'm going to link to your video series on this um, because I've seen the videos on these, Mm -hmm. but can you talk about maybe what you'd recommend people respond? Maybe a few examples Mm -hmm. about how people can respond or think about that question um, when they're posed with the question, that's too expensive. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. So this is great because it's something that, you know, I would say 99% of people get in their business at one time or another. Mm. It's also something that a lot of people fear. So I've had clients who simply, you know, I asked them, okay, what we'll finished the sentence pricing is. <laughs> and one guy said something I avoid. And so he literally would avoid for service-based business. He would literally try to avoid having the conversation with customers, which makes it really hard to sell. So there's a lot of fear for people around this question what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to think, kind of look at it from a different angle. So first of all, if you're never getting no, then I'm pretty sure your prices are too low. I can almost guarantee that's the case. So then you want to think about maybe making some adjustments there. But when we get no, think about when you've bought something or we're contemplating buying something, it's probably a better way to put that. And you said, nah, I don't have the money for that right now. Now I can be fairly certain that most of the times when any of us have said that the money was actually sitting in the bank. So it wasn't so much that you didn't have the money. It was more that it wasn't necessarily a priority right now. And so quite often when we get that's too expensive, or I don't have the money for that right now, it's actually about the person looking at the situation and deciding whether or not this is a priority for them especially in B2B, right? Because you're just looking at a fixed budget and you're going to invest money in some areas and not in others. And so you're trying to find what are the best leverage points. So think about the fact when somebody gives you a first objection that it may be that they're just still trying to think through what is the value for this for me? And is it worth me for to prioritize some of my funds, some of my money to put into this? So the first thing that And probably the easiest thing in some ways to do is to just take a deep breath and wait for them to continue. (laughs) Mm. So this is the silent strategy.
2: (laughs) I I like that strategy.
3: Yeah. On the one hand, it sounds very simple. On the other hand, our instinct is to start talking. But when we don't speak, usually the other person will start to say something. They'll start thinking out loud about why they said that. They'll start trying to justify it. So your goal when you get this first, uh, let's call it a pricing objection, not a rejection, this first objection is really mm. to understand why they're saying no you can wait for them with silent strategy. You can ask them, okay, well, what are you compare? What have you compared it to? Or can you explain that to me? Uh, I'd like to understand why you say that there, you know, there's different types of ways to go about it. And it depends on who you're sitting across and how cheeky you feel, because you can also ask them, you know, well, what have you, what are you comparing it to? Um, And based on the tone or the way you ask that it can, you know, land in different ways with different people.
2: I really like the distinction between objection and rejection. I think that's a really good way to frame it in your mind, but yeah, because I've seen people handle the pricing delivery and the response to that as an, as a rejection and the knee jerk reaction to any rejection is to then kind of, it's easy to crumble. It's easy to fold and say, Oh, okay, you know, we'll go away and we'll look at pricing and everyone shuffles around their papers and ends the meeting early. But if you take the time to consider it as an objection and mm-hmm. a discussion or like almost like a negotiation start point. That's a really interesting way to frame it positively and and seek a little bit more information. So I really like that. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking, mm-hmm. does does anybody ever question you on pricing? Because that would be a very brave person. <laughs> so you obviously you charge your services to small and medium businesses, but I think the, the space that you're in, mm-hmm. I would never question you on pricing because uh, I would just assume automatically that you've done air- all the thought around it and it's not even worth discussing. So uh, yeah, does anyone ever challenge you?
3: I, yeah, of course they do. Of course they oh, do. Oh, amazing. I wouldn't say it happens a lot, but but they do. And But what's really funny is quite often what I get is, I'm not even going to challenge you on this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah I was thinking about me in that scenario and I would I was just thinking to myself I would just assume that you've got all bases covered so and you understand your value so let's move on um, <laughs> it's just a really interesting concept for me to think about It's all. I would think, yeah, a very brave person it would take to do that. So uh, there's an element here, Mm -hmm. um, just speaking in that kind of pitch scenario. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So um, I I remember watching one of your videos, or maybe it was reading a a post about Mm -hmm. delivery and delivering pricing with clarity and confidence. Mm -hmm. I think those were the phrases that you used, definitely clarity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just want to understand from your perspective, are there trigger words or phrases that you should use that help deliver pricing information? well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and likewise, on the flip side of that, are there phrases to avoid?
3: Right. So of course, how you deliver the price is actually often more important than the number itself. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to consider. And I can give you a, a really simple example of that. So you're walking down the street, there's two lemonade stands. And one says lemonade 25 cents, and the other says lemonade 50 cents. And you're, you know, Standing there trying to decide which one do you buy? Well, most of us, because we probably have a, a, a dollar, a pound, whatever in our pocket, we might buy one from each. They're cute little kids. Why not, you know, support them both? But just imagine the one that is 50 cents also says clean water included. It changes your entire perception of value, right? And if you were in, say, Mexico City and ran across that, then the value changes even further. So the importance of how you present your prices is very important, is, is critical to the decision-making process. And so before you ever get to delivering a number, you want to establish value. And it can be as simple as clean water included. So that's quite often why if you look at like a, a pricing page for a software as a service, at the top of the page, the header will be some sort of value statement. And that's to reinforce that message, the main message about what the value is. So when you prepare a written offer, you prepare a landing page, you prepare a pricing page, a brochure with prices in it, you should always lead with the value before you start talking about the pricing. So that's that's the first thing uh, that I would reinforce over again. Because as I said at the very beginning, price is only relevant in the context of value And that's the value from the customer's perspective. It's an important distinction. When it comes to, say, trigger phrases, one thing that I I implore, implore? Is that the word? Emplore.
2: feels like a word. Emplore. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Sorry. That's all right.
2: Your, your numbers. <laughs> Implore. Your, 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 yeah. You're the numbers person. We don't have to worry about words. We've got numbers. <laughs> Implore.
3: All of you to do is if you are ever referring to your prices as costs to cut it out right now. <laughs> and I hear this quite often right. from freelancers and I see it on like their offers. They say, here's your cost offer. If you're referring to your prices as costs then you're, and especially if you're referring to them that way, when you speak to customers, they're going to think of them as a cost as opposed to an investment. So one of the trigger words that I prefer to use is either investment or price, but never refer to your prices as cost.
2: That's that's some amazing advice. And a similar question on the topic of delivery, Mm -hmm. something that I've always battled with is where to position pricing it with uh, within a pitch Mm -hmm. so I say that because I hate pricing being I hate the anticipation Mm -hmm. of building up to pricing during the delivery particularly of a marketing pitch and the reason for that is because I think the anticipation of the prospect or client thinking about what the pricing is going to be distracts them from the value or distracts them from whatever we're pitching Mm -hmm. and so i refer to it sometimes in our company at site visibility as do anything that we can to avoid the big reveal they should we you know it shouldn't be this huge surprise i'm just curious to know from your perspective are there any recommendations you have about where to position pricing within a pitch should it be at the very end should the prospect come into a meeting with an idea of pricing range is that helpful
3: so, in part, it depends on the situation, right? So, there's going to be situations where people won't even want to speak with you without some indication up front. Generally, I propose always that first you have to establish value before you can get to the price. Now, if somebody's really adamant about pushing for that earlier on, uh, there's a phrase that you can use starting from. So, Starting from this um, and then the prices go up from there. The thing you have to be careful about when you use that phrase is that you're clear about, you know, the starting from price is going to be, you know, kind of the do-it-yourself version of whatever it is (laughs) or the most basic version of your product right? And you have to be clear about that so that you set the right boundary. So every once in a while that can backfire because then they want something that's much more um, advanced or much more valuable. Uh, And then they're like, well, you know, earlier you said it would be only this. So you just have to be careful about how you do that. And one way to give people an option. So this is a a sort of an alternative for that is to give people options. So I kind of like when you package up an offer. If you can bundle things and you can have sort of the basic, the middle and the premium or the do it yourself, do it with me, done for me kind of versions of your package, then people can actually choose. And customers like to think they have options. At the same time, you can't give them too many options. (laughs) Otherwise, they, they go into paralysis, right?
2: That transitions into a topic that I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about anyway, which is, okay. um, I, I got the feel from some of your content mm-hmm. that scaling and understanding tiered options or your ability to scale and having that framed in your mind before mm-hmm. you go in to deliver your pricing is really important. And it, and it sounds like based on what you've just said, that's of quite high importance and, is front and center to a lot of the work that you do, Mm -hmm. because um, you've just said that yourself, that people want options. Mm -hmm. So um, it it sounds like, and do correct me if I'm wrong, that that's key to what you teach people about pricing, to go in with an understanding of scaling or tiers.
3: Right. So there's there's two things at play here. One is psychology. So if you give somebody an offer for something that is 5,000 pounds, and that's all you give them, they need some sort of reference for that. And if you don't give them a reference, they will certainly go find a reference outside, right? So one thing you can do is is give them that reference by having a second option in there. Another thing is that what's the best way to sell a 5,000 pound offer? Put it next to a 25,000 pound offer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of psychology at play on the one hand. The other aspect of this, especially if you're going to be negotiating, is I like to think of a a scale like an old fashioned, like the uh, uh, lady justice scale. Right. So there's these two sides of the scale. You have value on one side and price on the other. And when you're making an offer, you want to keep that scale relatively in balance and what happens is that people focus on the price side. When you focus on the price side and people feel the price is too high for the value and you're focused on the price side, there's only one thing you can do, which is drop the price. If you focus on the value side, you actually have more options when it comes to you can call it negotiating or adjusting the offer, right? You can adjust things. So you can offer them one of the other packages. You can take something out as long as it doesn't damage the value of what you're bringing people, right? And you're okay with that. They're okay with it. You can ask them or tell them that you'll include something. So, like with coaches, for example, somebody says, Oh, you know, it's a little bit too expensive for me. Instead of lowering the price, say, Well, instead of 60 minute sessions, we'll do 75 minute sessions, hmm. or I'll include this ebook free of charge or this extra video series or whatever it is. So you can actually, without, you you phrase it, this is the price. It's a fair price. I'm not willing to adjust the price on this. However, I'm willing to throw this in for you. And I would say vast majority of the time, people will all of a sudden be okay with your price. Not always, (laughs) but a lot of the time. And so when you play with the value scale side, the value side of the scale, you actually have a lot more options.
0: If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. Is there any one that comes top of mind for you that presents tiered pricing in a really clear way where they demonstrate value really well?
3: Mm. I mean, I guess the, most of the best examples that I see are in software as a service. There's also some really bad ones <laughs> can, <laughs> as well. But I would say the ones the, the ones that I find the most um, or the best examples are ones where it's very simple to read. There's not this like huge laundry list. Now maybe you can expand something to see the laundry list, but the really important stuff is presented very simply on on the page. The uh, another thing that is important to pay attention to is what's included in each package because they should be the things that like lead people to go to the next package. And when those are set up right, when those triggers are there, then you're automatically kind of, you know, people are being steered into these packages. And I know as consumers we don't like to think that we're being steered. <laughs> <laughs> the reality is much different. And the third the third component is the actual differences between the price levels of the packages. And a, a good example, I forget which Uh, newspaper it was, but when they had converted to online, uh, delivering their newspaper online as well, they were trying to figure out, okay, how do we price this? And they were kind of faced with this barrier of people uh, not wanting to try out the online version. So basically they said the print version was one price, the print only. Uh, The print plus online was a second price and online only was the same price or something like that. I I can't see it in my head right now. But basically, two of them were priced exactly the same so that people would just try it out. And that turned out to be a very successful offer for them. What was funny was that you wouldn't think if there are three packages that two of the packages would be priced the same way. (laughs)
2: <laughs> mm, yeah that is interesting
3: yeah
2: if i if if i find that example or mm-hmm. if you find that example i'll link it to that you in the show notes yeah i can send amazing. it to you that's <laughs> no problem mm-hmm. there's so much information on your website so i'm going to link and recommend that people go to your website to find out more about the area that we just talked about particularly pricing objections mm-hmm. tiering how to deliver pricing mm-hmm. and i know that you have a bunch of scripts and frameworks mm-hmm. to help people through this process and i was actually thinking to myself well that those kind of resources are great, but when on in the position that I'm in, mm-hmm. and a lot of people listening to this podcast will be in, they're probably pitched to a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And I can always tell when someone has been reading from a script and right. is delivering pricing information in in what I would consider maybe an inauthentic way, mm-hmm. and that turns me off. Yes. So I was actually thinking to myself, there must be an aspect of here in rehearsal Mm -hmm. and also in applying your own spin or your own authenticity on the scripts that you're learning right so I'm curious just to know is that something that you teach and is that a process you've been through yourself so are you the kind of person before I know you're experienced now in this space but at one point in time are you someone that would rehearse the delivery of that pricing information, particularly in like a pitch scenario or a service-based industry. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So that's a really great question, Scott. Thanks for that. And the way that I approach this is that what I'm trying to do is help people respond more naturally when these things come up. And what what actually happens is that when we get those objections or we get those no's, if we're kind if we're the less prepared we are for it the more likely that our brain kind of goes into survival mode and it seems silly that survival mode would kick in from somebody somebody simply saying you know your price is too high but this is you know on a on a small level this is kind of what happens to people and when that happens you can't think cognitively anymore Your brain is just racing around trying to, you know, your body is is just kicked into gear and trying to figure out how to get out of the situation uh, rather than being rational and cognitive. And what happens is if you see how these questions or these objections can be addressed and you get ideas for how you can respond and you've practiced just that first you know the first 3 or 4 or 5 words then you don't have to search your brain for it because it's already there so what i do what i tell clients and when i work with them on this is that we write out okay if somebody objects to this how might you do that what are three ways that you could respond to that and then i i practice it with them not so that they can memorize everything but basically i'll say okay so Your price is too high. And they say, oh, I appreciate that you're saying that. Thanks, Jenny. Can you tell me more? And the idea is just to get them to not search for an answer, but to have one already there, but not necessarily to rattle off a whole script of what to say next. It's just to get over that, to have that initial inertia to not overreact to the response that they're getting from the client.
2: Clear, okay, that's a really great answer and uh, i'm thinking about in, in my mind this kind of almost like a pitch in a service-based industry playing out and eventually let's say someone's been through your entire process mm-hmm. um they're feeling really confident in their pricing they deliver their pricing with confidence mm-hmm. at the point in which someone delivers that pricing it sounds like you're an advocate for one letting in the silence speak a little mm-hmm. so you know let that let your statement sit in the air for to your prospect or to your client and don't don't feel the silence with a need to speak further, let them think about that. Mm-hmm. But is that the point in from your perspective that you enter negotiation? So should you assume mm-hmm. a negotiation going in?
3: I think that it depends on your business. So here's the thing. If you're in a service-based business and you're doing big projects, There may be some negotiation. And Hmm. if you're prepared when you go into that and you've thought about, okay, what am I willing to give away? What am I willing, you know, what are my deal breakers? If you've already thought about that in advance, then you don't have to come up with it on the fly. (laughs) So it helps you to stay more relaxed and feel more confident. Now, in other businesses, you know, there are some businesses out there that do not discount. And that is their policy. So that's another thing. You have to be clear with yourself about the ways of working within your own business. Am I going to discount? And if the answer is yes, under what conditions am I going to do it? And you have to also understand where the bottom line is in terms of those negotiations because there's two ways that companies drain profit from their businesses. One is having the wrong price positioning to begin with. And the other is through tactical discounts or Mm. extended payment terms, you know, all of these other things that are actually draining money from their business. I like to think of it as I call it the leaky leaky bucket syndrome. Because if you think of a bucket, you're trying to fill it with profits. Your price positioning or value positioning is like the tap. So the better positioned you are, the more water pressure you have in order to get profits into your bucket. And what we call transactional pricing, so the actual price you get on each and every transaction is like the holes in your bucket. So you can have the right price positioning, but through tactical moves, you have great big holes in your bucket. And so your bucket actually doesn't fill up.
2: I'm going to move on uh, moving from this kind of almost service-based industry examples and Just a bit more broader and going into your career. And I'm assuming you've seen everything from again, B2B, B2C, small, medium enterprises. Um, this is an area of obviously study and passion for you. Right. So I'm really curious to know the most challenging pricing dilemma that you've personally faced. You know, has there been a product or a service that you've had to work on with someone or for yourself in an industry that's just really unusual or different or just niche and how did you approach that challenge?
3: Right. So there's um, one short example that comes to mind and one um, little bit more detail. And the the first one that comes to mind is I've had a lot of artists in the last year approach me. And I do find that quite the challenge because it's very subjective. So from a value perspective, of course, it's going to be more of a challenge. But on the flip side, if they're really looking to earn a living from it, uh, then you know it can become more clear. So that's that's one side. In my corporate days, I say there were two. The two biggest challenges were managing cross-border selling in Europe. So this is where you have different you know legal entities in Germany and France and Switzerland and da 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 da, da and they have different price points. And someone, you know, because Switzerland is so expensive, somebody from Switzerland goes over to Germany to buy the product instead, and how that can be managed, both from a legal standpoint, from a value standpoint. And then the other part is generics. When you're dealing with generics, that's quite quite the roller coaster ride, as one says, <laughs> because you've been selling this product at a good price for a long time, and then you, you don't have that protection anymore. And then generics come in and all of a sudden the price will be 30, 40% less or more, hmm. yeah, 50% less, 60% less
2: the example of artists is really interesting to me yeah and uh funnily enough i didn't cover this topic exactly i host another podcast a personal podcast called advertising hour okay and it's a bit more long form and i was Mm -hmm. recently speaking to a an author he is he's an author author of fantasy and science fiction novels Mm -hmm. russell noelty based out of the u.s right and he's an interesting character he's a mix of he he really understands the business side of art. uh, And then he's a writer himself and um, he's got a book called the complete creative. And he tackles this topic of how to essentially understand and find people that will value your art in creative industries. So yeah, I thought I'd recommend that because that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting in this, uh, like in the art sector, like you just said, understanding your value and then how to find people that value your work is a massive dilemma. And, um, I think he does a really good job in that book of talking that through.
3: Right. I think that's also a good point, not just in the art world, Scott, but also mm. for anybody, because I feel a lot of times, you know, I think, um, when we had spoken before, uh, you had mentioned, or one of the questions you had posed was about, you know, what are the biggest mistakes people make? And one of them is trying to sell everything to anyone, right? <laughs> and the anyone yeah. part is one part of that, you know, they, they want to sell to everyone and, 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 In doing so, they become a generalist, which generally means lower prices. But if you can be clear about who you're targeting and then really go find those people rather than struggling, try to sell it to people who don't really want it or aren't really sure about it, you're going to have a much more success with that.
2: I'm curious to know from, this is a a slightly different angle, but have you ever dealt with, so... Let's say that eventually you you win the deal, whether it's a service based or Mm -hmm. uh, or SaaS product, whatever it is, you win the deal, you get your client, and then three to six months down the line, your product or service for whatever reason hasn't met the client expectations. What's your position on offering compensation? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is I haven't seen I didn't see this covered on your website, but I was curious to know your opinion on how to judge yeah, your, your thoughts on just compensation in general and how that impacts your perceived value Mm -hmm. and what is a value to an unhappy customer. And if there's any kind of formula or framework you can use to understand that.
3: Right. So there's a couple, there's a few components to this. And it's funny that you asked this question because you're the second person this week (laughs) to come to me with this exact question. Uh, A client of mine earlier this week had the similar, same question actually. And I think, you know, it depends on a few things. So there's a legal aspect to it. So, and that may depend on the type of business you have. So in some businesses uh, like retail, there may be certain requirements that, you know, like I think here in Switzerland, uh, within two weeks, they have to give you your money back or something like this. I'm not a hundred percent sure on, on who that applies to. Uh, So there's a legal aspect There's also, and one of the questions that I pose to my client is, well, you know, what do you really want to, what's the best solution to come out of this with? Yeah. I mean, do you not really care how the customer feels in the end? Or, you know, do you feel like you want to do something? There's third aspect, which is what's in your terms and conditions. So I think that for service-based businesses, if you're, you're doing a project, then you have a full contract and the terms around that are usually very clearly stated in there. But I find with a lot of coaches is they operate without contracts. And then when that's not stated clearly up front in your contract, then there's always a question mark if it comes up later about what is going to be done and how that's going to be handled. Um so in some countries it will be based on consumption if they've consumed a certain amount of say a service with products again it depends on if there's a fault in the product or something like that. So I hate to mm. to say it depends it depends. <laughs> um but it it can it can depend. Now I've had I've had clients where They felt like the best thing for the relationship in the long term was to give the refund. I've also had clients where they said, no, this was our agreement up front. You were aware of this when we started. Hmm. So, you know, I'm not. And what you'll see, especially with um, service-based products, you'll see a lot of times people give a guarantee, like you can have a money back guaranteed. And that's that's a big selling point for a lot of these online programs. And the reason is that um, it makes it brings the risk factor out of the buying decision. So if you know you can get your money back, if it doesn't work out the way you want, uh, then, then you can. But what's written in the fine print of a lot of the guarantees is that you have to do the work. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because they know if you do the work that you will get the results. Uh, and if you don't do the work, you never have any chance of getting the results. Um, and a lot of times, especially with the online programs, people don't follow through on them.
2: Yeah, I think some great advice in what you've just said there. And so I was thinking about myself as a consumer and I, right. I really value the, these days I take a lot of online courses. I bought a lot of subscription based products mm-hmm. and kind of money back guarantees and proof that they honor them is of. A really good it's really good evidence for me and it encourages me and gives me the confidence to then convert so yeah I'd agree with that that's um, some really good advice we're coming to the end of mm-hmm. uh, our time together at this point and there's uh, one kind of question and topic I want to close on which uh, came or stumbled upon towards the end of doing my research for this episode and understanding more about you mm-hmm. and that was the aspect of mindfulness and meditation yes and I remember reading somewhere and, and do correct me if I'm wrong but you you talked about finding mindfulness and then practicing meditation Mm -hmm. and then that becoming a habit uh, I think Mm -hmm. a daily habit I'm someone that's interested in this area as well and I think there's a lot to be said for being comfortable in silence and it's something we've touched on as a thread throughout this episode in a couple of Mm -hmm. in a couple of areas Mm -hmm. I'm just curious if those things are connected for you so did you find that your your commitment and your interest in mindfulness and meditation does support your confidence and how comfortable you are in this area of pricing and when you do have to sit in those rooms and negotiate mm-hmm. and and uh, justify your value uh, are those things connected for you
3: it's it's funny that you should ask that because when i first started my business i was less clear let's say and i would position myself as pricing communication and mindfulness <laughs> <laughs> From a marketing perspective, I'm sure your brain is kind of exploding right now. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know,
3: and part of it was I wanted to do everything, but I knew better, but yeah. I did it anyhow. And mm-hmm. so, and and while you don't see that on the surface anymore, I use a lot of what I learned in in my own experience, as well as the training that I did, I use that in my pricing. Because pricing is such an emotional topic for people. I have to oftentimes help them figure out how to be in a different space when either they're working on their pricing or having those conversations with clients. So oftentimes you'll see in some of my videos, I'll be like, step number one, breathe.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say exactly that same thing. Yeah, th- th- that's, that really was an aha moment for me as well. Um just knowing how to take a moment to breathe is a really useful skill.
3: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really, again, it comes down to when, when there's this, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Anyways, he has, he has a a video. I'll try and find it and send it to you for the handy brain model. And since we're on audio, I can't really show you, but you do, you do this with your hand and what it shows you is that when, when you are no longer, or when you get triggered, right? The cognitive part of your brain actually detaches or it's connection to the rest of your brain. That connection is severed, which is why you can't think rationally. And breathing oxygen is one of the things that help keeps that cognitive part of your brain engaged. That's why all us crazy people are saying, just breathe, just breathe. (laughs)
0: Because
3: that is going to help those two parts of the brain stay in contact with each other.
2: Brilliant. I think that's a great piece of advice to close this episode on. So I'm going to say thank you so much for your time. There was so much interesting information that you shared there related to pricing. Mm -hmm. It's certainly given me some food for thought. I'm going to take a deep breath after this episode <laughs> and reflect on the things that uh, I've listened to and learned today. But before we close out, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and connect with you online? Sure.
3: So you can find me in most places as the pricing lady, my website, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube channel. Uh, you'll find me as the pricing lady in all these places. So PricingLady.com is, is where you, you can reach out to me and I would love to talk to you about uh, what you're doing with pricing in your business.
2: Brilliant. Thanks so much for your mm-hmm. time and take care.
0: If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Cantar. That tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof Podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to FutureProof, a Kantar podcast now.
1: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK.